Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. All right, the football regular season is over. You know what time it is. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, January 9th. Look at us. The gang is back together. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Happy New Year, Scott. First and foremost, for the listening audience, what the heck are you wearing? I got the meat sweats, Frank. <laughs> what? That's what I'm wearing, like literal sweats depicting meat all over them. This is uh this is this was a gift from a Christmas gift from my brother-in-law actually, who apparently takes my Twitter account very seriously, more seriously than anyone else on the face of this planet because back in August, in August, Frank, August 3rd specifically, uh, a Braves reporter by the name of Lauren Jabara tweeted out a promotional item she received from Arby's, the meat sweats, which like is a sweatsuit, again, depicting Arby's meats all over them. And I said... I've, I tweeted out, I've never wanted anything more than I've wanted the meat sweats. And so that's what I got for Christmas. It is, is very much like, uh, you know, Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation, toward the end of Christmas vacation, describing how, you know, what he wants to happen to his boss when he's denied the, uh, the Christmas bonus and Cousin Eddie takes him very literally and does that exact thing. <laughs> but in this case, it was my brother-in-law with the meat sweats. So now I got the meat sweats and I, I got to find opportunities to wear them. So first day back, 2024 fantasy baseball today. Here you go, the Kick, meat sweats. Kicking it off with a bang. Is that just a hoodie or are there pants as well? Oh, there are pants as well. Yeah. Are you, wearing, are you wearing the pants right now? I'm not. Okay. <laughs> because nobody. Scott's nobody not wearing any pants. 
<laughs> yes, it is the uh, the old broadcaster cliche of of uh, wearing shorts on the bottom, but that's that's fine. Uh, you know, it's gonna make you stand up and model for everyone watching. If you're wearing meat covered sweatpants as well, but uh, I will let you pass for now. Scott, I, I feel like I I need to share like my my favorite Christmas my favorite Christmas gift now. Uh oh. Oh. Chris is rolling on. I got a little. Back. I got a little ho ho. Uh, what are the Funko Pop? A little ah. Swiss roll. So ah. there you go. I, I got a Thank little food related Christmas. Yeah, I mean it kind of kind of <laughs> looks like a like poop a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, but, I mean, I'm, but he's, he's look how happy he is. That is very happy. That is pretty awesome. Even, even having had a bite taken out of him. That is awesome indeed, Scott. What did you get for Christmas, Frank? Uh, well, there's like a any novelty food items that you want to share. My parents every year they get me this tin of popcorn that comes with the three flavors. Oh yeah, they do it. They've done it since I was a kid, and they're not stopping now. So yes, <laughs> if you're wondering about novelty food items, that, that's one of the things that I received today what on the was show. On the outside of the tin was it like a New York Jets football tin? Santa, just the Santa. classic Christmas stuff. Yeah. Pretty much mm-hmm. it. Today on the show, by the way, we've got moves. Teoscar Hernandez uh, signed with the Dodgers. Plus, we do have some smaller trades. Uh, we'll also be evaluating the first round in 2024, making the case for and against. I know some people don't want to hear about the first round. They want to hear about deep sleepers. Don't worry. We're going to get there. So we're going to start at the top, and we're going to work our way down to the tiers and the rankings and the sleepers and all that kind there's, of fun stuff. There's going to be like... 90 episodes of this show between now and the start of the season. Oh, yeah. No complaining. All no right? complaining. We'll leave, we'll leave the complaining to March. I'm sure there will be a ton of that. Let's start with the news and notes. And Teoscar Hernandez signed a one-year $23.5 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's right. They're back at it uh, with Otani at DH. Looks like Teoscar Hernandez is projected to slot in as the starting left fielder. And a little update on the top six in their lineup. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, Will Smith, Max Muncie, Teoscar Hernandez. That is pretty awesome. Uh, Hernandez, 31 years old, coming off a solid season, hit 258, 26 homers, 93 RBI, 7 steals. StatCast data looks really good, uh, but power metrics are starting to take a little bit of a step back. You know, 31 years old, I think he's still fine. ADP over the past month is 147.8 as the 33rd outfielder off the board. Scott, my guess is that Tasker Hernandez will climb. I'm not sure how much he will climb, but he will climb. I mean, he's, he's climbing quite a bit for me. I was probably below the consensus there. Uh, I, I thought Teoscar Hernandez's last couple years were disappointing. You know, he's still good enough that he was worth starting, even in three outfielder leagues. But um, he, you know... His OBP the last two years is like 310. Not that that's like the end-all be-all for fantasy stats, but like it is an indication that this 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 player is is maybe not the offensive standout that his reputation would suggest he is. But but now you take him out of Seattle, not such a great place to hit. You, you put him in Los Angeles, the second best home run park for right-handed hitters the last three years. Not to mention... The supporting cast he's now like he is the Teoscar Hernandez is now like the right-handed counterpunch to uh that that you know Freddie Freeman and 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 Shohei Otani. You got you got Will Smith there, I know. You got Mookie Betts, but he's at the top of the lineup. Like they needed that right hander there 
to uh, to make their lineup not so lefty heavy. And you got to feel like that's going to position Teoscar Hernandez for potentially some huge RBI totals. Like he he is stepping into the role that made JD Martinez a fantasy standout last year. And frankly, I don't think Teoscar Hernandez has as far to go to reclaim his fantasy value as JD Martinez did at this time a year ago. Um, so yeah, to, you said he's going 33rd. He's been going 33rd among outfielders in early mock drafts. I think he's back in the top 30 now. Uh, and uh, I went from being pessimistic about Teoscar Hernandez to now optimistic about him for 2024. I will say, I think, I don't know how much improvement I would expect on his counting stats from last year. When he had 93 RBI, what was it, 70-something runs, 70 runs, Maybe more runs, although the low OBP is going to hold him back there. But like he's going to go from batting fourth and fifth primarily to, you know, like you said, maybe sixth or seventh. And so he's going to lose some plate appearances. He had 100, he played 160 games last season. It's asking a lot for him to repeat that. So I'm not saying that he, the arrow is not pointing up from the baseline that existed before this signing. I just, it's pretty rare to primarily hit in the bottom third of the lineup or the bottom half of the lineup and drive in a hundred runs. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. And if it were to happen, this is a lineup where it would happen. But like, I I will point out JD Martinez drove in 103 runs in 113 mm -hmm. games last year. So nearly, nearly an RBI a game for JD Martinez. And And that that was was, before Otani was part of the mix. Exactly. That that was before Otani too. So I hear you're saying, Chris, like, you don't want to really project more than 30, 93 RBI for Teoscar Hernandez, but man, if there's any well, lineup that could pull off something outlier in the bottom half, like 110 yeah. plus RBI, it, it would be this lineup. Yeah, that's fair. And last thing I'll point out, Scott, you touched on this a little bit, just the, the ballpark change. Looking at StatCast Park Factors, going from Seattle, they ranked 18th in home run factor, going to Dodger Stadium, which is second. So again, that could also just improve the baseline. Maybe you project closer to... 30 home runs, or maybe there's a chance Tasker Hernandez could get to 35 home runs this season. I don't Still think that's... hits the ball very hard. Yeah, I don't think that's out of the question here in 2024. Let's move over to Sean Manaya, who agreed to a two-year, $28 million deal with the New York Mets. The money, a little bit surprising for me, considering Manaya hasn't exactly been good over the past two years. Those who have listened to the podcast... The past few years, by the way, uh, you know, I've been duped by Sean Manaya before, and it might be happening again. Manaya is coming off a season with the Giants where he was split between starting and as a reliever. He had a 444 ERA, a 124 whip. Obviously not great. Did put up a career high 9.8K per nine. Why am I looking to get duped again? Well, Manaya did do some interesting things. The fastball velocity was up over two miles per hour from 91.3 miles per hour in 2022 to 93.6 miles per hour in 2023. He also introduced a new sweeper that he used 10% of the time, and it was a really good pitch for him. 140 batting average against, 35% whiff rate. Chris, the problem is that it didn't really matter. It didn't amount to better production. I think there are some things that could change, you know, get rid of his traditional slider and just use like a fastball sweeper and change up, and maybe that can help Sean Manaya you know, have his best season. There are some interesting things, but he's going really late anyway. Uh, are, is there any interest in Sean Manaya as a starter in 2024? So I think the, the there are a couple things to look at here. One is he's cheap enough that who cares? Like it's, 
you know, if his price doesn't rise very much, then who cares? It's your last pick. You're playing in a 450 player draft. He's still one of your last picks. Like there is very little cost here. We are talking. It is worth noting about a guy who's going to be 32 in 23 days, 24 days, who has exactly a league average ERA over the course of his career has one season with an ERA plus better than 105 in more than 29 and a third innings, 29 and two thirds innings, excuse me, need to be very careful here. Uh, And also he stopped throwing the sweeper in the second half or the, in September, he threw, I think one (laughs) in the month of September uh, through two, excuse me. So, and, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is he's a lefty. And sweepers are primarily very, very good weapons to same-handed hitters. And they tend to get crushed by opposite-handed hitters. So I I don't know how much a lefty adding a sweeper necessarily changes how I feel about them, especially when Manai is just... We've done this so many times where it's like, yep, but, but from July 2nd to September 3rd, he, and it's like, well, yeah, but then you zoom out and we've got a thousand inning sample here of a 4.10 ERA pitcher and 8.3 K per nine. And that's not to say he's not valuable in baseball. That's not to say that it's not a, a decent signing even for the money. I mean, who cares? It's it's a team with ostensibly unlimited money. It's just I put together my list of sleepers for 2024 I did not even consider Sean Manaya. <laughs> and that's not to say he can't be useful. It's just, I'm probably going to come across 25 starting pitchers drafted outside of the top 200 that I'd rather have. And that might be a low number. I'll also, I'll, I'll just add, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure there's much to add to that. Dump but, on um, Sean Manaya. Well, it, in case, in case you are trying to look at, you know, see the glass half full here by looking at, some of his 2023 data prior to September, he went five plus innings three times. Mm-hmm. You, know, he, he, you said he split between starting rotation and, and the bullpen. Well, even when he was starting, it was not like a true starting role for Sean Manaya. So they, they really let him air it out for three innings at a time. The giants did. And all that resulted from that was a mid four ZRA. I, yeah, I'm with Chris. I just think if, if you're looking to gamble on upside, there are much better, choices out there than Sean Manaya. You guys are right. You guys are probably right when it comes to Sean Manaya. Just some interesting things that I noted. And last point on him, it, he made 10 starts. And in the 10 starts, he was actually worse than he was as a reliever last year. A 482 ERA, a 135 whip in those starts. So for whatever it's worth, the current Mets rotation, by the way, after missing out on Yamamoto, Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Sean Manaya, Adrian Hauser. Yikes. Speaking of the Mets, they signed Harrison Bader to a one-year $10.5 million deal. Not that, not sure there's much here either. Bader will play center field, which slides Brendan Nimmo over to left field. Uh, Bader still does provide speed. He had 20 steals in 98 games in 2023, uh, but it comes with a low batting average. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries. His ADP over the past month is 405 as the 100th outfielder off the board. Scott, does this matter at all? Harrison Bader to the Mets. 
Uh, probably not. I, I was mad at myself for writing this up in the in the off-season tracker because I try to set a certain standard of relevance so that I don't go totally crazy and I'm reacting to every single minor move that happens. For some reason, I reacted to this Harrison Bader st- signing. I mean, because of his defense, you can count on him playing close to every day for the Mets. And he has been running more in recent years. So maybe as like a a cheap steel source in deep five outfielder leagues. Harrison Bader is worth drafting. Uh, but, you know, you can't expect more, much more than 10 to 12 home runs, and the batting average probably is going to be nothing to write home about. And it's overall the, the, the package isn't that impressive. It's a, it's a big upgrade for the Mets outfield defense. I, I, I would say if there's any impact here, it's probably just – sliding Nimmo over to a corner and getting Bader, who's a very good defensive center fielder, it will make this team's outfield defense much better. Yeah, that's a fair point. For the games that he's healthy, again, he Bader has dealt with a lot of injuries, but Brandon Nimmo actually graded out as a, a pretty good fielder too, and now he's moving over to the corner. So pretty good defense there for the New York Mets. Let's get into the trades. A bunch of them happened on Friday. I'm not sure that any of them have massive significance for fantasy but the Giants acquired Robbie Ray from the Mariners in exchange for Mitch Hanniger and Anthony DeScofani. Robbie Ray recovering from Tommy John surgery, hoping to return in the second half of the season. So not really much to do, I guess, in a redraft league, but if you play in a keeper or a dynasty league where a player's value carries over from one year to the next, Robbie Ray, I think, is a name you should remember towards the end of your draft and maybe select him and just kind of stash him on your IR and he could become a good keeper for 2025. So, I mean, he won the Cy Young two years ago, and he was yeah. pretty good, well, I guess, three years ago. Because it's New Year. I don't know if you guys know, it's 2024. It was 2021 when Robbie Ray won the Cy Young, and he was also pretty darn good in 2022, mm-hmm. his first year yeah. with the Mariners. And, I mean, just from a real-world perspective, this I found it surprising from the Mariners' end, almost like they just wanted to... They just need to get that money off the books. And they're pitching so good they could afford to 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 pass up whatever Robbie Ray is when he returns. I mean, come midseason, Robbie Ray could be a pretty big deal again in fantasy. And Giants have a good track record with veteran pitchers. So yeah, just an, an, a name you don't want to forget about no matter how you look at it. I think also if Jerry DePoto goes like four weeks without making a trade, he his skin starts <laughs> to itch. <laughs> And so I think that might be yeah. part of it. Yeah, Robbie Ray, by the way, does have a player option after 2024 that will that equals two years, $50 million. My guess is he's probably going to be in San Francisco in both 2025 and 2026 as well. The other side of the deal, the Mariners received Mitch Hanniger, who looks like he's penciled into their starting right field job. He's been limited to a total of 118 games over the past two years, constantly dealing with injuries. Uh, but... It was back in Seattle, I think probably three or four years ago now. 2021. When he had that monster season, 39 homers, 100 RBI. Yeah, I'm not sure how much that matters at this point. Um, and then Anthony DeScofani, he's also been crushed by injuries the past two years. I don't know if he'll be healthy. I don't know if they view him as a starting pitcher, but... It's swing, man. They don't, they don't really have a spot for DeScofani right. right now. I was going to say, if he's healthy, I guess there's a chance that, like... There's a battle between him and Brian Wu for the fifth starter job. I hope that doesn't happen because obviously Brian Wu has a bunch of sleeper appeal. Uh, Chris, any thoughts here? I guess probably Mitch Hanniger is more likely to have fantasy value between the two. 
Yeah, I would think so, just because Hanager is likely to open the season in a fantasy relevant role. And, you know, if you're in a deeper league, I, I think there's a, a dice roll to be had there. I will say if you set the over under at 14 and a half starts for Anthony Desclafani, if he's the next man up for them in the rotation, I'd probably take the over just because all those dudes are 24, 25 and two of them are probably going to suffer serious injuries because that's what happens to starting pitchers, especially when they're in their early to mid 20s. So I think we'll probably see more of Descalfani than we want. Mitch Hanniger, by the way, the past two years, only batting 228 with a 686 OPS. The quality of contact is still there during that span. 91.5 average exit velocity, 11.4% barrel, barrel rate. So if he finds a way to stay on the field, it's not inconceivable that he can hit 25 home runs for the Mariners, but again, it's pretty far-fetched that Mitch Hanniger will actually stay on the field. The Mariners also made another trade. They acquired Luke Raley from the Tampa Bay Rays for Jose Caballero, and Raley looks like the strong side platoon in left field. Pretty productive year for Tampa Bay. In 2023, he hit 249 with 19 homers, 14 steals, and 824 OPS. Pretty impressive quality of contact metrics as well. And the way things stand right now on Tampa Bay, it looks like it could be Taylor Walls and Caballero in a spring training battle for their starting shortstop job. Again, given everything that we know right now. Maybe with a little sprinkle of Junior Caminero. Maybe, yeah. Who profiles more as a third base long term, but has, you know, he has experience at shortstop in the minors and um, certainly represents an upgrade offensively over those two. Uh, I don't think Luke Rayleigh is very good. He does hit, he does make hard contact, but he strikes out a ton. And uh, most of his production last year came early on. In the second half, Luke Rayleigh hit 219 with a 677 OPS. So I think uh, for all of Jerry DePoto's maneuvering that day, it's not going to signify much. I mean, in I, fantasy. Say, I think there's a decent chance he's a net upgrade over. Oh my God! I'm Jared Kelnick. I don't know if that that might oh, be yeah, a hot I mean, take, but he, he might he might just be Jared Kelnick. Yeah, he might just be what what they were going to get from Jared Kelnick before right, that trade. Right for whatever that's worth. But what I was going to say is what excites me about this trade is the opportunities it creates in Tampa Bay now that they don't have to find at bats for Luke Rayleigh, uh, uh, at bats that can now go to Common Arrow potentially. Or a uh, 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 Curtis Mead, a uh, bat first prospect who got a little bit of a look last year, or my personal favorite, Jonathan Aranda. Mm. I mean, they don't have a dedicated DH, so like Aranda and um, and 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 Curtis Mead, their their issue is they don't really fit anywhere on the diamond, but. They profile as excellent hitters. Aranda's production in particular in the minors last year was just off the charts. Uh, and, you know, because it's Tampa Bay, you can't expect any of them is just going to take a, take the job and run with it, play every day. They're, they're all going to be mixed in at different places on the diamond. But there's more opportunities for all of them now. And I think that's a net benefit for fantasy, getting Rayleigh out of there. And there is an, an opportunity available for potentially another player that the Rays acquired because they made one final trade that day. They acquired outfielder Richie Palacios from the St. Louis Cardinals in exchange for reliever Andrew Kittredge. So uh, Palacios, by the way, the final 32 games that he played with the Cardinals, 
he did some nice things. Obviously, it's a very small sample. He hit 258, six home runs, two seals, and 823 OPS, some pretty good numbers in the minors as well. Roster resource as of now does have Richie Palacios as the strong side platoon at DH, but probably going to come down to a spring training battle between him and Aranda and whoever else can actually perform and hit well. You know, the Rays just try to find hitters and, and create offense any type of way that they can. Um, and just for the Cardinals bullpen, you know, Ryan Helsley has dealt with injuries and Giovanni Gagos has been inconsistent the past couple of years. So it's not inconceivable that Andrew Kittredge kind of works his way in uh, and has value at some point this year, but just a name to remember. Um, Scott, anything on, on Richie Palacios working his way into that mix as well for Tampa? I mean, I don't like him as much as the other guys I mentioned, so I would be kind of annoyed if he did. But dude, uh, he is—he is such a Tampa Bay Rays player. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yeah. just walks a ton, has never hit more than six home runs at any level, but probably I—I I assume has very good batted ball metrics. It just this is such a Rays move, and he's going to get four hundred plate appearances <laughs> with like an eight oh four OPS, and there are going to be fourteen different times this season. When he hits a home run and Frank goes, do we need to start talking about Richie Palacios? <laughs> <laughs> and then you guys will probably laugh at me and tell me not to do that. Some other news here real quick. According to Jim Bowden, the Red Sox, Cubs, Angels, and Giants are all finalists for Japanese lefty Shota Imanaga. His posting window ends this Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So something needs to be done by then, obviously. Tommy Edmond underwent arthroscopic surgery on his right wrist in October but expects to be ready for the start of spring training. MJ Melendez is slated to play primarily in the outfield in 2024, which is no surprise. 130 of his 148 games came in the outfield in 2023. Matt Veerling is the favorite to serve as the Tigers' starting third baseman to begin the 2024 season. And Scott, is that perhaps revealing that their prospects Colt Keith and or Justin Henry Malloy will not be on the opening day roster? If Matt Veerling is starting at third base, well, I, uh, Justin Henry Malloy, I, th I think in the long run they think of him as more of a left fielder, and there are questions about Cole Keith, Colt Keith's eventual destination defensively too. Whether he's a better fit at second base, uh, he's kind of stretched anywhere you put him, other than first base. Uh, so it it could play out in in a few different ways that he's already being that Matt Veerling is already being reported as the favorite. I don't take as a, as an encouraging sign for either Keith's or uh, Malloy's chances, but it'll all have to play out in spring training. And I, I think Colt Keith especially is the caliber of prospect where, you know, you'd, you'd like to have him on the major league roster for his entire rookie season. So that if he does, uh, if he is in the discussion for hardware for awards uh, years in the, the next several years of his career, you, you know, you have a chance of scoring draft picks because of that. All right. The Red Sox are apparently listening to trade inquiries on both Kenley Jansen and Masataka Yoshida. And if you're wondering about saves in Boston, in case that move does happen, Chris Martin looks like the obvious next man up. I had Greg Jewett on a couple of weeks back who specializes in closers and bullpens, and he kind of speculated on Garrett Whitlock mm -hmm. as a name to watch there. So, you know, he's been really good in the past. If they do trade Kenley Jansen, maybe it's Chris Martin or Garrett Whitlock as the next man up. 
The Yankees and Marcus Stroman have mutual interest. There were other reports that indicated the Yankees also have interest in Dylan Cease and Shane Bieber and Jesus Lazardo and I guess any other pitcher that you can conceivably think of. And last but not least, Michael Brantley announced his retirement on Friday. Congrats to him on a successful career. A few quick notes. We are live on YouTube after a few months and we'll be here three nights per week in January and we'll remain live basically through the end of the baseball season. Obviously, if you want to listen to the podcast, that will be in the audio feed. Uh, but if you want to hang out with us live and hang out in the chat and, you know, talk some crap and talk some smack with some of the other people that are here. See the meat sweats. <laughs> you can see the meat sweats. That's exactly right. You can do so at youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Also, we have a five-minute podcast called Fantasy Baseball Today in Five, which serves as a bit of a spark notes, as a summary to the full-length podcast. We will have four of those spark per notes. week. Yeah, that's right. Spark notes. Is that still a thing? Cliff notes. I don't know. <laughs> kind of got me through uh, high school, junior high school. Uh, <laughs> we will have four of those five-minute podcasts per week in the month of January with bonus episodes dropped on Saturdays into the FBT feed. So if you ever see a five-minute podcast in the Fantasy Baseball Today feed and trying to figure out what the heck is this, that's what it is. FBT in five. Make sure to download and follow wherever you listen to this podcast. Let's take our first break. When we return, we will take a look at the 2024 first round here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back in, and just before we get into the first round, I, I wanted to quickly point out some things that I found out, that I researched, uh, about the likelihood of your first round pick being a bust, and I asked you guys earlier in the day, how low does a first round pick have to finish to be considered a bust? And obviously, there's no right answer, but Chris... We were very unhelpful. Yeah, very. Uh, but Chris threw out the top 75, so that's what I used here. <laughs> I looked at first round what, ADP. What was, was Manny Machado a bust last year? Um, just as a like intellectual exercise, would you consider Manny Machado the year he had to be? No, no, I don't think so. I wouldn't either. I, it's tough. Like, because that's one of those things where like probably not. Right, you got 176 or 166 RBI, 30 home runs, two feet. Like he wasn't great. And nobody's drafting him near round one this year. But he didn't tank your year. team, though. Yeah. Right, exactly. But, like, I, I think of a bust as somebody who was supposed to be good, but instead was bad. And Machado was still good. He just yeah. was the first round. Good. I think it's just like, it's one of those things where it's also kind of like, it's an emotional question. And so, like, if you still managed to finish in second place with Machado as your first round pick, he wasn't a bust. And if you finished in eighth, he definitely was a bust, even though he was the same player. Mm hmm. 
So he finished, according to the CBS 5x5 Roto algorithm, he finished 65th overall, Manny Machado did. So, yeah, I don't think that I would consider that a bust. And I guess even by these top 75 standards we just made up, he he wasn't a bust either. I looked at the first round ADP over the past three years and then where they finished overall in each of those seasons. So during that span, eight of 36 first round picks by NFBC ADP finished outside of the top 75 in that respective season. So eight of 36, that's 22%. So you figure on average two to three first round picks mm-hmm. will let us down, which makes sense. Yeah, not every player. In the, yeah. Not every player in the first round is, is obviously going to hit, but I will say last year in particular, the fantasy community was spot on. The yeah. first round was awesome. Uh, the lowest finish was Vlad Jr. Who finished 62nd overall. Nine of 12 first round picks in 2023 finished as top 25 players. So just mm. spot on. Good job overall by the fantasy community. We got that one right. I, but, I wondered if Judge finished outside of that just because of the time he missed, but apparently not. He finished uh, 48th overall. So not too bad. All right, let's get into the 2024 first round. The case for and against, I guess we could also talk about like upside versus downside with some of these players, but Number one, no surprise, this is based on NFBC ADP. It's Ronald Acuna, 26 years old. He just finished as the first overall player in fantasy. 41 homers, 73 steals. He earned $71 worth of auction value in a 12-team league. Scott, I mean, you can make the case for I think a more realistic question, Scott, is what, what is your projection for home runs and steals? He's 26, so, like, theoretically he could do this again, but, like, what is your yeah. realistic expectation for him? I don't I don't think it's unrealistic to suggest he could do it again. I know he just did something nobody has ever done before, 40 home runs, 70 steals in a season, but I mean, we're we're kind of entering a new new uh, a new a new paradigm for stolen bases. We don't know exactly how it's going to play out from year to year and and more than any other player, Ronald Acuña seemed to relish taking advantage of the new pickoff rules and uh, I don't I don't see why he'd stop doing that I mean he is he is as perfect of a number one overall pick I, I think as we've ever so seen that was the question I was going to ask because you know going through this it's not that hard to come up with the case against a lot of these guys it's incredibly different like Ronald Acuna will almost certainly not be as good in 2024 as he was in 2023 he just had one of the best fantasy seasons ever Maybe the best ever. How far back do you have to go to where there was this? I like, uh, I saw Ariel Cohen tweeting about this in uh, Kentucky Derby style. Uh, that's that's what it's called, right? KDS? Yeah, that's where you choose which draft slot you want yeah. or you put it in order, basically. Yeah, there's you have a, a draft for your draft slot, basically. Has there ever, like, do we have to go back to peak Mike Trout? Yes. To where there was this obvious of a no, you want one one. You don't even think about because like I, I'm doing we're we're all in the process of doing our, our salary cap values, and I think I have him like seven dollars clear of the next best player in both Roto and head to head. Yeah. That high. Think about think about this. That I, might be too low. I've never seen this before. If you take the steamer projections on Fangrass and just plug it into their auction calculator there, Ronald Acuna is projected as a $59 player. Yeah. The next closest hitter is Aaron Judge at $37. 
that is unheard of. I, I've never even yeah. seen projections and, like that in my well, life. And projection right. systems are supposed to be inherently conservative. Yeah. So yeah. that is the case for Ronald Acuna. I guess the case against, I wrote down a few things here. I guess it would have to be injury related, right? It, you know, he had he a could torn, get hurt. He had a torn ACL a few years back. Maybe. There were a lot of scares last year. Yeah, look, there were a lot of like, oh no, not Ronald Acuna. And then he was fine. Yeah, that that seems to be his whole career. Yeah. Ronald Acuna has a tendency to have very big reactions to being hit by a pitch. He's got a low threshold for pain. Yeah, I think it's also possible the plate discipline regresses. Chris, you mentioned the strikeout rate. I mean, it was yeah. otherworldly. If it does come down, maybe he's more of like the 280 hitter he was before 2023, which with his power and speed would still make him, I think, the pretty clear cut first overall player. Uh, but let's move on to number two. Again, we do have to move a little bit quicker than we just did. So keep that in mind. We've got like two to three minutes per player, basically. Uh, number two is Julio Rodriguez. And Chris, I will let you start with the case for Julio Rodriguez. Uh, he's a preternaturally talented young player who has overcome poor plate discipline to be an elite fantasy option two years in a row and has also overcome slow starts two years in a row, which I think bodes well for the ability to make adjustments. And if that strikeout rate gets to like 21%, you're talking about potentially even another level that he could go to 40, 40 is not likely it's on the table for Julio Rodriguez. And and that's not something that you can say for more than four players. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez went 28-25 as a rookie, followed that up with 32-37 as a sophomore. Uh, hits the ball extremely hard. I, I'm with you, Chris. I think the upside case here is Julio Rodriguez, if everything breaks white, right, could go 40-40 in 2024. Scott, you get the ungodly mm-hmm. task of making the case against Julio Rodriguez. Well, it, it, it's hard to make a case that he's going to be a bust outright, but the case against Julio Rodriguez is just that uh, he might drive you a little crazy relative to some of the other players you would consider in this range. Personally, I have Bobby Witt second overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, to put it in perspective, uh, as late as... Let's see if I can find a good example here. As as late as June twenty third, Julio Rodriguez was hitting two thirty seven. Now, by the end of August, he had gotten that up to two eighty six, which was actually higher than his rookie season. Um, it ended up at two seventy five in part because Julio Rodriguez uh, ended the year in a six for fifty three slump. So, you know, he was he was hovering around a little over the Mendoza line for most of the first half and uh, really just got burning hot for a two month stretch basically. And that was the majority of his production and his rookie season kind of played out similarly mm-hmm. where people were thinking he was a bust for the first couple months. And, and then Julio Rodriguez caught fire. So I, I guess that would be the downside case for him. Uh, you could ask for a player who's in a better lineup too, but, you know, he's still, he's still, but we'll save that case for the next guy. <laughs> 103 runs, 102, I mean, 102 runs, 103 RBI for Julio Rodriguez last year. So I just, I don't think that's that big of a deal. So let's move on to the number three player who is Bobby Witt Jr. Scott, you just said you have him as your number two player. So I think you could pretty easily make the case for Bobby Witt. Yeah. So uh, Ronald Acuna became the third player in history to reach 30 homers and 50 steals in a season. Bobby Witt, came within one steal of being the fourth 
player to do that. I, 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 it really breaks my heart that he didn't get that 50th steal. But it just goes to show you that Bobby Witt had a historic season himself, and it was just overshadowed by what Acuna did. And, you know, as good as he was, 276 batting average, his expected batting average, I believe it was over 300. Like he, It was like he, 296. Okay, so he underperformed his expected stats. And, you know, that was with... Gosh, what did he hit in the second half? He hit 301 in the second half. So, like, he was trending. At, as good as his overall numbers were, he was even better in the second half, and the expected numbers say he could be even better. He doesn't need to be any better to justify the second overall pick with that home run and steals production. But, like, Bobby Witt is a total absolute stud, and uh, everybody who drafted him in the first round last year was right, even though I told people they shouldn't. All right, the... Oh, well, let's probably make the case against, Chris, which is where you will come in. You kind of mentioned it a little bit on the, uh, I guess, the team context on Bobby Witt. Yeah, I think that's the the most obvious place where he falls short of the rest of the first rounders. Is just, I don't know, the Royals might be competitive this season. I don't see much reason to think that they're going to have even better than an average offense. He plays to Justin Mason? He plays in a poor <laughs> home park. Uh, there's... The context around Bobby Witt is is poorer than it is for, I think, any other first round caliber player. Certainly the guys that we're going to talk about today. There's also just it's not that he swings and misses a lot. He certainly doesn't strike out very much. Twenty one percent as a rookie, 17.4 percent last year. He's just a very aggressive hitter. And so I I do think one that drives the walk rate down in a way that's hard to overcome. He makes so much contact and that contact tends to be good that it's not really a trade a trade off you struggle with. But that 50 steal number would be a little easier to get to if the OBP was average that, as opposed to slightly below average. That's that's he's got bigger holes in his real life game, I think, than anyone else in this range. I think Julio Rodriguez is is kind of there as well, but the the raw skills are so strong that it's it's hard to hold it against him too much. I, I think because, it's, a, it's a tier of two behind Ronald Acuna for me. Because of the plate discipline issues there for Bobby Witt and a lesser extent Julio Rodriguez, I think both are second rounders in points league. They go from being obvious top three picks in Roto to, in my mind, like early second rounders in points leagues, um, in part because like the, the top tier of hitters just in general is so deep uh, that it, it's easy to fixate on their shortcomings in that scoring format. Uh, but, you know, with their steals production, it's just in five by five categories, Roto leagues, like that's just too valuable with everything mm-hmm. else that Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez provide. Speaking of steals, the number four player in ADP is Corbin Carroll, who just had 54 stolen bases. He hit 285, 25 homers, finished as the fifth overall player in fantasy the unanimous National League Rookie of the Year. Chris, I might have already done it for you, but the case for Corbin Carroll being the fourth overall pick. Yeah, I think a big part of it is just he was 22 years old. He was the top prospect in baseball, and he more than lived up to expectations. I think he's probably someone who, making the case against him maybe a little easier than making the case for him, but 25 homers, 55 <laughs> stolen bases as a rookie, like even it the underlying numbers don't necessarily back it up. I don't know how much I worry about that with a guy who's 
as young and as talented as Corbin Carroll, like I think the production will, the, the underlying stats will catch up to the production more likely than not. But like, does he maybe max out as a 25 Homer guy rather than a 30 Homer guy? I, I think that's possible, but yeah, he's, he's a five category stud who will likely drive, drive in more runs than he did last year as well. Scott, I've been on record saying that I'll, I will have Corbin Carroll a little bit lower in my first round rankings just because I'm worried about some of the shoulder stuff that popped up mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's a pretty big reason for the case against Corbin Carroll. Yeah, so of the players we've gone through so far, this is the first one that actually gives me like a worry, and it's that Corbin Carroll left the game like twice in the span of a week last July grabbing his surgically repaired shoulder and we thought he was done for the year and he wasn't done for the year. Mm-hmm. He was back in a matter of days. One of those in times, I think he was back the very next day. Uh, and so it, you know, it's, it seems like water under the bridge now, but over the final two months of the season, he homered just four times. He did add two home runs in the postseason, two home runs in 17 postseason games, which isn't, you know, like an amazing rate either. Uh, so, you know, in three months, he hit six home runs, Corbin Carroll. And so even without considering the impact the shoulder had on that power production, I would say Corbin Carroll's projected power output is among the lowest uh, among first-rounders. And then you add that concern on top of it, and it's like there's 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 genuine bust potential here. I'm not saying Corbin Carroll is a bust, but you could see it happening. And, and I, I think – he is more so than Rodriguez and Witt. He is more of a jack of all trades rather than like Rodriguez and Witt hit the ball really, really hard. You know, they have maybe not top of scale power, but they have well above average raw power. Corbin Carroll's more about maximizing what he has. And he's young enough that he could fill out and, and he hit for power in the minors throughout his career. So it, it, we're, we're nitpicking. With, with the except, well, that's this exercise, right? Because we're talking about first rounders. Yeah. Stolen bases. Like, really, what clinches Corbin Carroll's spot this high in the rankings is the fact that he's a 50 steel guy. Mm. And just 50 steel guys prior, prior to this past year, 50 steel guys didn't really exist. And certainly not from first round caliber bats. Uh, and, and so now, now that you have guys who can really hit and also steal that many bases, you're almost like obligated to draft them this early in Roto. Um, even even recognizing in Cor- Corbin Carroll's case that he'll, he'll probably be closer to 20 home runs than 30. All right, let's take our final break. When we return, we'll get into the rest of the first round here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. We're making the case for and against players in the first round. The top four picks, according to ADP, Ronald Acuna, Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Witt Jr., and Corbin Carroll, which brings us to number five, Mookie Betts, who will be leading off for a lineup that includes Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, now Teoscar Hernandez. Scott, the case for Mookie Betts at number five. I mean, the case for him is he's hitting ahead of Freddie Freeman and Shohei Otani and is probably going to score a zillion runs because of it. Uh, there's just there's just not a better lineup spot in baseball, and obviously it's come through for bets the past two years in a in a huge way. 126 runs this past year, 117 runs the year before. Uh, you know he's he's not a big base stealer anymore, but the power production has actually been climbing as he's been getting older. And I mean the production the production has been there, and there's no reason to think it won't be there next year uh and you add on top of it he's now dual eligible second base in addition to the outfield so yeah i mean mookie betts is mookie betts mookie betts 233 runs plus rbi before the addition to the dodgers lineup again he did that in 2023 chris the case against mookie betts at number five uh the case against would probably just be that before last season, the batting average had been in real decline and it looked like he was no longer a legitimate plus in that category. He was more someone who kept you afloat. And that's kind of where he's been with stolen bases. And he's 31 years old. He'll be 32 probably before the Dodgers season ends this year. It's October 7th. This is his birthday. So they got to make it out of the first round for that to be true. I think we're all expecting that despite the way the last few seasons have gone. But yeah, I think it's just that if the power is not elite, which it was last season, does he do enough else well to be a standout? Probably yes. But, you know, if there's any sort of pick, if there's any sort of age related decline, then it starts to get a little hairier. Mm -hmm. That being said, you generally don't profit from betting against Hall of Famers. Like Hall of Famers have different aging curves and Mookie Betts is a Hall of Famer. Well, I, I would just say that Mookie Betts has set a career high in home runs each of the last two seasons mm-hmm. and his elite, elite top five status is, is more dependent on his power production now and just law of averages tells me that he's not going to set a career high in home runs for a third straight season. So, um, but he, he did, that's my outside case. I do buy the power because it came with, you know, him putting in the work with driveline in the off season last year and, uh, you know, vastly improved quality of contact across the board. But yeah, any regression there, it starts to get a little hairy as a top five pick. All right. Well, number six is Kyle Tucker and he's been incredibly consistent the past couple of years. Between 29 and 30 home runs, three years in a row, 25 plus steals, two years in a row. 
Scott, I will go back to you to make the case for because, frankly, I want Chris to make the case for number seven. So you get Kyle <laughs> oh. Tucker, the case for. Well, the case for Kyle Tucker, and I would take Freddie Freeman over him for what it's worth, uh, it is that he is, you know, once you get past the potential 40 to 50 steel guys at the top of round one, uh, Kyle Tucker is probably the next best power speed threat. It's more like 30-30, but it's still numbers that, not the kind of numbers you shoot for in the first round. And um, after a 2022 season in which we had questions about Kyle Tucker's batting average potential, he bounced back to hit 284. Uh, so two of the last three years now, he's hit 284 or better. And that's more in line with the strikeout numbers we've seen from Kyle Tucker, which are very low. It's, it, it seems like contact hitting should be, uh, like hitting for average, should be uh, an, an expectation for Kyle Tucker now moving forward, in addition to that power speed output. So while he is behind those like super studs at the top of round one, he's probably the next best thing. And he finally moved up in the Astros lineup too, which paid off with 209 runs plus RBI which was, uh, I would venture to say that's a career high for Kyle Tucker uh, if you're combining both of those numbers together. Chris, Kyle Tucker here, the case against at number six. One, I think it's just, he's probably the worst hitter of this first ground contingent. Like he's more of a high 800s OPS guy. Maybe Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt are probably in that same range. So, but he also really gets the most out of his sprint speed. He is 32nd percentile in sprint speed right now with a new manager in place. Are the Astros going to run as much? I think that's a, that's an open question. And, you know, if he's more like an 18 to 20 stolen base guy, you know, then you probably need him to start hitting more like 35 homers. And that's not really something he's shown he can do. He's another guy who it's more of a, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of profile. I did see a report recently that the Astros want to run more under Joe Espada. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I guess take that for what it's worth. I don't think Kyle Tucker could actually provide more steals than he has, but maybe it just gives you a little bit more uh, safety and, um, you know, when projecting the stolen bases out Mm -hmm. for Kyle Tucker. The number seven player is Fernando Tatis, and of course I wanted Chris to make the case for because Chris was all over Tatis last year. Chris, will you be all over him again at number seven? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Look, I I think it's possible that coming back from the suspension and the wrist surgery last year, I think he was also coming off shoulder surgery, although that was a little more further removed. It's possible he's just not the same guy, but I think the case is very similar to Ronald Acuna, where we have an established track record of a guy who was very clearly on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He came back from a weird season, different circumstances. Obviously, Ronald Acuna was coming back from a torn ACL. Fernando Tatis coming back from a self, uh, not imposed, but whatever the term would be, uh, steroid suspension and also all of the injuries that were at least partially his own fault as well. Don't ride motorcycles. But I just, we know that this guy has been arguably one of the three or four best hitters in baseball in the very, very recent past. Now it's back to 2021 at this point, but remember that was 42 home runs and 25 stolen bases with a 282 batting average and a 975 OPS. 
I don't think anybody should be surprised if he gets back to that mark. And it's another guy where 40-40 is on the table given the change in rules. So yeah, I, I, I think if we're talking about Fernando Tatis as the 1B this time next year, I wouldn't be surprised at all. All right. Do you, are you going to rank Fernando Tatis in your top five? Yes. Interesting. Yep, he is. He is number five for me. Now, I, I think that there's a tier of two with Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt at two and three in Roto. I think after that, it's like a tier of four or five. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not like way way out ahead on Fernando Tatis. I have him with basically the same value in a salary cap draft as Corbin Carroll, Kyle Tucker, and Mookie Betts. But yeah, he's number five for me. Scott, of all the names that we've talked about so far, there you might have the most reasons or the, the biggest case, I guess, to make against Fernando Tatis going at seventh overall. Yeah, so I would start with he hit two. Tw- Fernando Tatis hit 225 with a 665 OPS in the second half mm-hmm. last year. Uh, you know, you make the comparison with Ronald Acuna. Well, I mean... It was it was shoulder surgery, it was wrist surgery, and it was the PED suspension for mm-hmm. Tatis. Three things that individually would cause us to wonder about a, a, a player's future power production. When Ronald Acuna with the torn ACL, that that's not really going to make you question future power production. Um, and then you know, lo and behold, Tatis mostly fell short in terms of power output this past year. So. I rank him eighth, you know, I mean, it's, we're, we're kind of doing this exercise where we're giving kind of the stock answer for why he'll live up to this draft spot and why he won't, as opposed to giving our personal take for what we think is going to happen. Uh, I would say I'm not quite as optimistic as Chris that Tatis will, you know, bounce back with a better 2024. I mean, I say bounce back, but he had what, 25 homers, 20? Yeah, still pretty like good. First round caliber player either way, I think. But I do have questions. I do have questions about whether Tatis can get back to being who he was in 2021, which obviously would have, you know, had had him and Acuna in a neck-and-neck battle for best player in fantasy. Do you know what Ronald Acuna's OPS in 2022 was after July 1st? I guess it wasn't very good. It was pretty bad, yeah. friend. 728 OPS for our guy, Ronald Acuna. Look, I, I I can obviously see the downsides with Fernando Tatis. I just, I think, and look, the upside for him might not be that much higher than it is for Julio Rodriguez or Bobby Witt. So, like, the the case for him is, is a little harder to make when there's other guys with that sim profile. But I... I think we've seen the higher upside from him. Yeah, I think the upside for Tatis is the number two player, right? It's like you just can't put anyone's upside on the same level as Acuna for obvious reasons. But you're talking about outside of Acuna, who has the most upside. I would argue Tatis has the like is among that level with J. Rod and and Bobby Witt Jr. We have about five minutes left and we have five players left to talk about. So (laughs) you guys will get to make the case for and against each player that I assign you. And Scott, you are up with Spencer Strider at number eight. First, make the case for and then make the case against Spencer Strider. The case for Spencer Strider is he might be the closest thing we have to an ace in this current pitching environment, which is aceless. You know, he was well ahead of every pitcher in strikeouts last year. 
think nearly 50 more than everybody. He had three more wins than any pitcher last year, which might not be the most repeatable stat, but he has the Braves offense backing him. So, you know, there's a lot of win potential there for Strider. Um, And just the advantages he's the advantage he's going to give you in strikeouts. If you're going to sell out for anything at starting pitcher, that's what it should be for. So that's the case for Strider. The case against is that he's a pitcher. And there are a lot of like there are almost two rounds worth of first round caliber bats. And then there's a big drop off after that. And you probably want to secure uh, you want you want to you want to you want to you want to gather those bats while they're available to you, and then maybe turn your attention to pitching after that. Pitcher pitching is obviously inherently volatile. We don't know that Strider can replicate this kind of workload year after year, uh, and and so those would be the reasons to avoid him. I, I probably will avoid him in round one, even though he will rank in that range for me. One of those very clear first round caliber caliber bats is Freddie Freeman, who is going ninth overall. Chris, the case for and the case against Freddie Freeman. I think the case for him is just points at stat page. I mean, like he's <laughs> basically a perfect hitter. Like I, I, what does Freddie Freeman not do at like at least a B plus or a minus level? He's not even that fast. And he stole 23 bases last season because he's such a smart, heady runner. And he has been his whole career. You know, last year was a career high two years in a row now, but he's always stolen more bases than you would think. And it's always been a nice bonus. The case against him is he's 34 years old. And how much can you rely on a 34 year old to, to be a, a metronomic uh, exemplar of consistency? And can we expect 23 stolen bases? I would think more like 15 from Freddie Freeman and, if there's any loss in bat speed, we've seen like Paul Goldschmidt, the end of you know his run as an elite player. He kept putting up really, really good seasons, but there were definitely some, some ups and downs along the way as he figured out how to age. And so, you know, it could be that kind of thing where we see a down season from Freddie Freeman, then a bounce back. That wouldn't surprise me, but there's just, there's a lot of age related risk there. All right, the number 10 player right now in fantasy is Trey Turner. And Scott, this one is a pretty fun one. The case for and the case against Trey Turner. I just want to say Freddie Freeman's the most underranked player here by ADP. He's my fifth overall guy. I'm going to have him top five as well. Uh, Okay, so Trey Turner, case four, is that over the final two months, he hit 317 with 16 homers and a 1,000 OPS. The case against... Is that he hit 242 <laughs> with a 673 OPS in the first four months? I think, and I, I was, I was pretty down on Trey Turner for most of last year. Certainly, by the time August came around and his numbers were still where they were, you know, batting average below 250, I was, I was, kind of writing him off as a potential first rounder for for 2024. Uh, but there were some underlying changes in the final two months that make me think Trey Turner that the turnaround was, was something that'll stick for him. Uh, you, re, you look really deep in the plate discipline numbers. He was chasing less. And I think that kind of goes along with the narrative of him putting pressure on himself first year in a new place, a big contract, uh, that he would be more aggressive at the plate in a way that was detrimental to him. And he kind of got that under control over the final two months and looked more like Trey Turner. He is getting older in his thirties now. And, um, his skill set. Certainly 
being as dependent on base running as it's been, it might not age as well as we'd like. And and plus, being a standout base stealer isn't as unique to Trey Turner among first rounders as it used to be. But I don't know. Tenth overall, it's hard to make too too big of a case against him. He's so interesting, Trey Turner, in that he's still 99th percentile sprint speed, and we saw him run wild in the postseason. I think if he wanted to, he could steal 50, 40, 50 bases, but it just yeah. doesn't really seem to be part of his game as much anymore. Okay, like his upside case, yeah, I think he could get like 25 homers, 40 plus steals. But again, that's kind of painting the uh, the the glass half full there for Trey Turner. Number 11 is Aaron Judge, who is hampered by a toe injury this past season, limited him to 106 games. Chris, the case for and against Aaron Judge. Uh, I had a little whoopsie whoopsie doodle earlier in the podcast because I said that the last Ronald Cunha had 800 plus points in CBS standard scoring. And that was a ridiculously good season. And I, I said that nobody had had 700 plus since like Justin Verlander, one of his Houston years. That was a lie. Aaron Judge had 713 last year. That is yeah. the highest, I believe. I, I just went through our system removes players who have retired. So it's possible that someone Albert Pujols at his peak was in that range, but we're talking about like nobody who is currently active except for Ronald Acuna has had a better season than Aaron judge did two years ago. Yeah. And last year, the quality of contact was arguably even better, which is pretty terrifying to think about. He struck out a little more last season, but Average exit velocity was actually up to 97.6 miles per hour, which is, that's an average. Uh, His hard hit, his barrel rate was 27.5%. Like the quality of contact metrics were actually better last season. So there's not much indication that the skill set was lacking and he was still on a 50 homer pace. He's the only player I think who has a realistic shot in any given year at 55 or 60 home runs. The case against is he's 31 now and he's 282 pounds and we've already seen him miss a ton of time in his career. And the one exception was, you know, the, the MVP season. So it might just be asking too much for him to play 150 games. The number 12 player. We're wrapping up back to back Yankees here. Garrett Cole, Scotty, the case for and the case against. The case for is that Garrett Cole is old reliable at a position that made you want to rip out your hair <laughs> last year because of how unreliable it was basically at every level of the position. Garrett Cole was the most bankable pitcher and has been uh, really since he joined the Astros in 2018. The case against drafting Garrett Cole here is that he's a pitcher. And, you know, what I was saying about Spencer Strider earlier, I, I just don't think it's the best use of draft capital. Also, for uh, while, while Garrett Cole was more reliable than pitchers in general, he didn't quite live up to his previous standards. He struck out only 9.6 per nine after being more like 11.6 per nine uh, for most of that stretch that began in 2018. Uh, his swinging strike rate, was down about three percentage points too. He just he just didn't by the by the underlying metrics, Garrett Cole didn't seem as dominant. And it makes you wonder if he kind of got away with something. 
the you know the track record is what it is, and you know the pitching landscape is what it is. So I, I'm not I'm not dinging him too hard for that, but I don't personally think I would draft Garrett Cole twelfth overall, just like I wouldn't personally draft Spencer Strider eighth overall. All right, we started this exercise by mentioning an average of two to three players are likely to bust in the first round. So we'll just wrap up with give me the three players who of all the names we talked about today you think are uh, most likely to be a bust. And I'll just kick kick it off. For me, it's Corbin Carroll. It's injury-related, the shoulder. He was fine in the postseason. Look, he could completely make me look foolish if he stays healthy, I realize that. Fernando Tatis, there are just a lot of moving parts, I guess, some risk factors with him. And I I guess I'll kind of take the easy way out. I'll say either pitcher, just because they're a pitcher. Uh, But Garrett Cole might actually be more likely. The age... Velocity, fastball dropped one mile per hour year over year. Some of the underlying numbers don't really line up with him just having his best season ever and winning the Cy Young. So he was awesome. I don't want to downplay that. But uh, yeah, some of the underlying stuff just doesn't really line up. So uh, those are the ones I think are most likely. Chris, how about for you? I'll kind of just default to the older guys. So Freddie Freeman, Aaron Judge, and either starting pitcher, but I think I agree with Garrett Cole. It's funny, he went from kind of underperforming his expected ERA for a couple of years because of home run issues to then way overperforming last season. I think his ERA was like almost a run better than, than most of his metrics. And that might be sustainable, but given his age, given the, the apparent dip in skill set, I'll say he's a little more likely to bust than Spencer Strider. All right, Scott, you wrap us up, take us home. Three players, most likely. To be a bust. And remember, we're holding this to you, you to this. And yeah, in no. October, we I was just going to say, we're, yes. we're clearly playing devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm uh, writing this down, scratching it in my desk as we speak. You can't draft any of these players, Scott. If you do, I'll call you out. I'll make fun of you. You're saying they're terrible. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say, and I'm kind of just playing some hunches here. I'm going to say Mookie Betts. I'm going to say... You know, just just from the perspective, he doesn't his his power production drops off. Uh, Spencer Strider, and I'm gonna say Trey Turner. I don't know Aaron Judge with the injury risk. He's probably up there too. I don't know. I couldn't stick to three. Sorry. I was trying <laughs> to give you new. I was trying to give different names. I'm gonna say, yeah, whatever. I'll say Betts, <laughs> Strider, and Judge. Scott White. He's got the meats. Sweats. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.